And in the book of Exodus, chapter 23, verse 25. Worship the Lord your God and his blessings, and his blessings will be on your food and water. And I will take away sickness from you. So if we love Jesus, he's promised that we always have good things to eat and drink. And when we do get sick, he will make us well again, just like he did Luna and Maria. Let's have a little prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you that people like Maria and other children, especially our Luna, were made well. We thank you for all your promises. And we pray that we'll learn to love you all our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Today's scripture reading is taken from John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11. And it says, Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees, brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us to, that such should be stoned. But what do ye say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Amen. I have uh, two announcements to make, one for Basildon and one for uh, Chelmsford. Um, Basildon, the weekend camp for Voyager has been postponed due to the unavailability of Danbury campsites because of the COVID-19 uh, guidelines. So at the moment, we are not going to meet the uh, weekend camp for Voyager but the date will be informed later. Uh, as Sister Stephanie uh, reminded us about the business meeting, I would like to add uh, on top of it, the nominating committee member selection will be done uh, in the uh, business meeting. So I implore every bona fide members of uh, Chumsworth, please attend this uh, business meeting. And this is my humble privilege to introduce uh, the speaker of this hour, who is one of the busiest person in Trans-European Division. But I praise the Lord that uh, he's able to be with us uh, today to proclaim the word of God, Dr. Patrick Johnson. Just a few words about uh, Pastor Dr. Uh, uh, Patrick Johnson. Uh, he's married to uh, Carrie from Norway and... Um, uh, he has three beautiful children, Epson, Miriam, and Crystal. And uh, this year is his uh, 30th uh, ministerial year in his life, both in Norway, so also in United Kingdom. Uh, after many years pastoral life in Newbold, he is moved to Trans-European Division, where he is uh, at the moment as a Trans-European Division ministerial secretary very humble, uh, soft-speaking person, and it is our uh, great opportunity to have him amongst us. Um, 
before uh, Dr. Patrick Johnson begins his discourse, uh, we will be favored and God be glorified by a special song by Sister Regina Hansdeck. Amen. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Um, just like to uh, uh, say thank you to Pastor Melky for his uh, very kind uh, welcome and introduction. And uh, like my wife to say hi as well. Hello. Nice to meet you. Uh, it's our privilege to be uh, worshiping with you today. And uh, Jefferson, I can see just your shoulder there, but it's good to see you as well. <laughs> Hope you're doing well as well. Um, thank you for the uh, opportunity to share God's Word with you today. Um, I have uh, chosen the title, The First Angel's Message, The First Angel's Story, Judgment is Good News. Let's just bow our heads as we pray. Gracious God, as we come and open your Word, we ask that you would um, bless us, and inspire us, set us on fire for you because of what we will learn today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was invited um, last year, actually, 
by the young adults group at our church to come and speak with them. Um, and uh, they gave me the title Identity. So I could speak about anything about identity with them. So I decided I was going to speak about uh, Adventist identity. And so when we got together, gathered around in a circle with about 25, 30 of them, I asked them, what, what is it that makes Adventists different to other Christians? Now, one of them said, uh, oh, uh, it's because we believe in the Sabbath. And I said to them, okay, that's true. But, uh, you know, there are other people that um, keep the Sabbath and there's a whole nation that keeps the Sabbath. So, you know, that doesn't make us that different. Somebody else said, well, we believe in the second coming of Jesus. I said that uh, I agree with you that that's correct as well. But uh, there are many other Christians that believe in the second coming of Jesus and even Muslims believe that Jesus is coming again. So that doesn't make us that different, does it? Um, somebody said, well, we have Ellen White. And I said, that's true. Well, we have Ellen White. Nobody else says Ellen White. But other Christian groups have their prophets as well. So in that sense, it doesn't make us that different. Eventually, somebody said, well, we preach the three angels' messages. I said, okay, that's a good one. Um, explain to me, what are the three angels' messages? And there was silence. <laughs> um, eventually, somebody said, well, we're against Catholics. I said, no, 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 that, that, that's not what the three angels' messages are about at all. And then we went into a nice, interesting dialogue for the rest of the evening um, about the three angels' messages and, and what it is that we're trying to preach. But I went away from that meeting thinking, you know what? I don't think many of our young adults and perhaps many of our church members in general have a great confidence in who we are as Adventists. And if we're not confident about who we are, we won't be confident about our mission either. See, the three angels' messages, when's the last time you told somebody about the three angels' messages? See, I think most of us are unable to, uh, to explain what the three angels' messages are, and yet it's supposed to be so um, central to who we are. It's, a, it's core to our message. If you were to go on, online, go to the General Conference website, and look for our official mission statement. It says, the mission of the Seventh-day Adventist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ who live as his loving witnesses and proclaim to all people the everlasting gospel of the three angels' messages in preparation for his soon return. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to make three sermons on the three angels' messages. So today I'm going to preach the first one for you. Um, but my approach would have to be different because most people, as I say, most of us have left it to the experts to explain what the three angels' messages are about. So I'm thinking, okay, how can I approach this in a different way? And who better to think about, who better to look at than the greatest teacher ever, and that's Jesus. And as I've been observing Jesus, a couple of things uh, come out, uh, really jumped out at me. First of all, that Jesus uses summary quite a lot, and secondly, that he uses stories. So, summary. Um, you know, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest law? He summarized it all and said, to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Another time he was asked, and he summarized the whole of the Old Testament as, do to others as you'd have them do to you. So if you're to think about the first angel's message, how would you summarize it? Let me just remind you what the first angel's message says. Uh, let me read from Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7, and I'm reading from the New International Version. Revelation 14, beginning at verse 6, it says, Then I saw another angel flying in midair, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So, how would you summarize the first angel's message? I would like to propose a good summary for the first angel's message is judgment is good news. Now, why is it important? 
to uh, say that judgment is good news? What, what, why should that message be given to every nation, tribe, language, and people? I'd suggest at least two reasons why. First of all, religious people need to hear this message. Whether you're Christian or whatever other religion it may be, all religious people have some idea of some kind of judgment that's going to take place. And judgment is the one thing that produces the most fear in religious people. Take us Adventists, for example. If you look in our uh, Adventist hymnal, um, hymn number 416, let me just read for you the, the first verse and the chorus. The judgment has set. This is the title. The judgment has set. The books have been opened. How shall we stand in that great day? When every thought and word and action, God the righteous judge shall weigh. How shall we stand in that great day? How shall we stand in that great day? Shall we be found before him wanting or with our sins or washed away? I don't know if you've sung that hymn lately, but it, it kind of leaves you in a little bit of a doubting position. I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand in that great day. And I think that's part of the reason why we have such uh, insecurity around the judgment. I think also the reason why this message that judgment is good news needs to go to the whole world is that non-religious people need to hear it too. Because the idea of a divine judgment is one that produces rebellion in those who don't believe. For example, um, Brad Pitt, I was reading something he said. Uh, he grew up in a Christian home and then he rejected the whole thing. And he said, for me, it was a big question of fairness. If I'd grown up in some other religion, would I get the same shot at, at heaven as a Christian has? In his mind, the way Christians think, because of the judgment, only Christians could ever be saved. Or let's take uh, Aaron Rodgers. He's a professional American football player, uh, well known in that scene. He was interviewed one time and um, he was also explaining that he grew up in a religious home, but then he rejected it. And here, here's his summary of it. He says, I don't know how you can believe in a God who wants to condemn most of the planet to a fiery hell. In other words, you know, I think most non-religious people, those who say they don't believe in God, reject the idea of some being that's going to sit in judgment over them. Why would I want to believe in a being like that? And I, I would agree with them. So I think the first angel's message is God's way of saying, you know what, let's clear this up once and for all. The whole world needs to know judgment is good news. So that's the first part of Jesus's teaching method, a summary. I want you to be left today with the idea, judgment is good news. That's how you summarize the first, me first angel's message. Judgment is good news. But remember, we said Jesus's teaching had two parts to it. Summary but also a story. Now, what story would illustrate this message? Why is it that Jesus was always telling stories? Well, it's because our brains are wired for stories. The only thing you're going to remember from this sermon today are the stories that I tell, because that's the way it is. We remember stories. Um, and so, uh, you know, as Adventists, the advantage we have is that we read the Bible as a story. This is what we bring to theology. This is what we bring to, to the whole world. We have a story understanding of the Bible. We call it the great controversy. There is a, a, a great battle going on bet between Christ and Satan. And what's this battle over? It's over the character and the government of God. So we as Adventists, when we read the Bible, we're thinking, Oh, where does this fit in this whole storyline? Because there's a big story as a backdrop, the cosmic conflict, the great controversy that's going on. So we could say then that uh, um, story is a central way in which we as Adventists want to speak to the world. And so we, the idea of judgment is good news when you understand it within this cosmic conflict storyline. 
judgment is good news. How do we illustrate it? Well, I'd like to use this story that we had read for the scripture reading. So turn with me to John chapter 8. Uh, I believe that we can find four very good reasons why judgment is good news from this very well-known story, John chapter 8. Um, four good reasons. Reason number one, who is it that's on trial? When you look here in verse 6, what does it say? It says, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. They were saying this so that they may have a, a reason to accuse Jesus. Notice, who, who is it you think is on trial here? G you know, generally we, we would think that uh, it's the woman that's on trial because she's the one that's in front of everybody, but not according to what it says here. This was just a pretext to accuse Jesus. Who's on trial? Jesus, the Son of God, is the one that's on trial. You see, th th this was designed so that no matter what Jesus decided, he would be condemned. Decide for or against, he would be condemned anyway. But don't miss the point. The one on trial is God. And you know, that is a central idea in the, in the cosmic conflict. The one who's on trial is God. Because somebody has raised doubts about the character and the government of God. So what has God done? He's put himself on trial to allow the universe to make up its mind about him. So when you think about it, in the Garden of Eden, when Satan came to Eve, it was God and his decision-making that was on trial. When you read the book of Job, it was God and his decision-making that was on trial. When, when you read a lot of the Old Testament prophets, you hear the way in which God is formulating himself. He's appealing like a defendant. For example, in Micah 6, he says, my people, what have I done to you? In Jeremiah 2, he says, what accusation did your ancestors bring against me? What made them turn away from me? And in the New Testament, God and his way of governing are on trial. God's on trial, not us. That's why it's good news. God is on trial not us. Can God be trusted to make just and righteous judgments? That's why Paul says in, in uh, Romans 3, let God be true and every man a liar as it is written, so that you may be proved right when you speak and prevail when you are judged. The great controversy helps the world to see that sin and salvation aren't primarily about our salvation centered around us, but it's centered around God's character and his reputation. The hour of his judgment has come because God is the one that's being judged, not us. And that's why when you read in the book of Daniel, when the judgment is set and there's thousands upon thousands and thousands of beings around because the whole universe is making up its mind about God. We're part of something bigger this is what Adventists know, because we read the Bible in terms of a grand story. So that's the first reason why judgment is good news, when you understand it within this great controversy context, because God is on trial, not us. So for religious people like you and me, I think that's good news. It means that we can relax. We don't have to have this fear-induced obedience to God. And when we can come to him without fear then we can worship him, as that first angel said. And for non-religious people, I think this is a much more attractive picture of God. I know I'm attracted to a God who's willing to put himself on trial for the whole universe because he desires to win us back to trust. Second reason why, uh, from this story, judgment is good news is to answer the question, how is it then that we are convicted? How are we judged? If you look here in um, verse 9, it says, At this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Notice, they judged 
themselves. They judge themselves. It's really interesting to notice the, um, the whole theme of judgment that runs through the book of John. If you go to John 5, verse 22, so keep your finger in, in John 8, but John 5, verse 22, uh, Jesus um, says very clearly, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Do you get that? The Father doesn't judge anyone. Okay? And then... Um, so he's given all judgment to the Son. But then if you come back here then to chapter 8 and uh, verse 15, then Jesus says, You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. So notice that. The Father doesn't judge anybody. He's giving that to the Son. The, the Son says, I don't judge anybody either. <laughs> That's pretty good news, isn't it? The Father's not judging us. The Son's not judging us. So how is it that we are judged, if you like? Well, if you look in chapter 12, um, so John 12, 47 and 48, <clears throat> this is what Jesus says. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. Do you notice that? For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. In other words, the father doesn't judge, the son doesn't judge. It's only whatever he said, we judge according to how we understand or accept his word. And we all know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. But of course, when you read on from there, um, verse 17 and onwards, it says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. In other words, we judge ourselves by how we react to his word. You know, it's always better when all you have to do is present truth to a person and allow them to judge themselves. I remember when I was... Uh, when I was a pastor at Newbold, I used to have Bible study groups, uh, have people in groups um, studying the Bible together. I remember one time we were looking at the story of uh, uh, the woman at the well. I was studying with a group of people. And what I would do is I would get different individuals to, to read passages uh, from the scripture, and then we would discuss it together. And uh, as we were reading this, one young lady who... Um, uh, who I asked to read. She read where um, Jesus spoke to the woman about uh, calling her husband, and she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, that's right, you've, you've had five husbands, and the one you're living with now, he's not, he's not your husband. And as she read that, she said, oh. And then we continued on and uh, did the Bible study. But afterwards, I asked her, so, so <laughs> what was that reaction about? Why, why, why did you, why did you act like, react like that? She said, well, she saw that Jesus was making a difference between living together with somebody and being married to someone. And she had recently moved in with a guy and they bought a house together, etc. But now it seems like Jesus is saying that uh, she should actually get married and not just be living with him. I was amazed. I, I hadn't said anything about it to her whatsoever, but she had, based on Jesus's word, judged or decided how she should be herself. Now, some of us are really good at judging ourselves. We judge ourselves all the time. And let me just give you a, just a little word of encouragement and warning, if you like. You know, we've got to remember what Paul says in Romans 8, that uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can bring any accusation against us? Nothing can separate us from God's love. Because some of us, we condemn ourselves constantly all the time. So remember God's love. But the point here is, 
that because God is for us, we control our own destiny. The only one that can keep us out of heaven is ourselves. If we choose against God, if we choose darkness instead of light, if we choose death instead of life. That, that's, that's why Moses said to the children of Israel, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life. So the second reason for me why judgment is good news when you understand it in this broader, great controversy picture, it's because we control our own destiny. We judge ourselves based on our own choices. And I think for religious people, that, that, that's a good, that's good news because we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worship God out of fear. If we've chosen him, we've chosen life. We, we can worship God from a, a freely uh, set free heart because we've freely chosen to accept him. And for non-religious people, I think that's a much better picture of God. Could you be attracted to a God who allows you to judge yourself rather than trying to threaten you into compliance? I think, I think that would be a much better picture to paint. The third reason why judgment is good news, according to this story, is because of what, what is God's main objective? You'll remember in the story, uh, in uh, verse 6, second part of verse 6, it says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And then that's repeated again in verse 8. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Jesus was always seeking to save. Even his enemies were safe with him. Do you notice that? He preserves their self-respect and dignity. He didn't expose them or humiliate them, even though he knew they were against him. He seems to be trying to save them. Now, I know, I, I would have been tempted, you know, if I knew the, these guys come to, were coming to me to try and trap me, and I knew their hypocrisy, I would have said, listen, the law says that both the woman and the man are supposed to be stoned, so where's the man? And that would have just sent them packing, right? I mean, <laughs> that they would have been so embarrassed by that, they would have disappeared. But God isn't like me. God isn't in the condemning business. He's in the saving business. So Jesus just writes in the dust. We're not sure what he wrote. Most people say that he was perhaps writing their sins in the dust, where it's easy to erase it if you walk past and just brush with your foot a little bit. But notice, God is writing with his finger. Remember other times when he's written with his finger? He can write in stone indelibly the Ten Commandments that he wrote in stone with his finger, or even the writing on the wall with Belshazzar, where he wrote a message there, never to be erased. Jesus could have done that in the temple floor. He could have written their sins with his finger in the stone floor, but he didn't. He just writes in the dust because... Jesus is in the saving business, not the condemning business. And we see this repeated time and time again in the Gospels. Remember when Jesus was invited home to, um, to Simon the Pharisee and, his, and, and a sinful woman was washing Jesus' feet and Simon started to think in his head, this guy can't be a, the proper Messiah because if he knew what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't allow her to be washing his feet. And Jesus knew. And he didn't embarrass him, did he? He just told him a little story to let him know, I know what you're thinking. Nobody else understood. Why? Because Jesus was in the saving business, not the condemning business. He wasn't trying to embarrass Simon. And think about the fact that Jesus didn't expose Judas either. He even washed Judas's feet, and, and the way we have the communion described, it seems like he even served him first, like he was the most honored guest at that meal. Why? Because God isn't in the condemning business. He's in the saving business. So if God's enemies are safe with him, how much more those who would trust him? And what do we read here in verse 11? After everyone's disappeared, Jesus says to the woman, neither do I condemn you. 
go now and leave your life of sin. Jesus didn't give her a humiliating lecture. He, he didn't reprimand her. He didn't shame her or attack her self-worth. He just set her free. You know, I remember when I was growing up, my, my teachers she seemed to love using shame to keep us in place. You know, and you do anything to make sure that you weren't shamed in front of the whole class, that you weren't the one standing in the corner with, it, with your face in the corner, because they were using shame all the time. But Jesus doesn't do that. Because he's in the saving business, not the condemning business. You know, we should really have understood this all along. Because there's a book in the Old Testament called Judges. And what kind of people were Judges? This is their job description. Judges chapter 2, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Judges were saviors. They weren't there to be condemning people at all. So the third reason why judgment is good news, when you understand it within this great controversy context, is because God is in the saving business, not the condemning business. He's not trying to humiliate anyone, not even his enemies, but he's seeking to save and preserve our dignity and self-respect. So for religious people, that's good news. We, we, we don't have to be afraid of coming to God because we, we're ashamed he, 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 may, he may expose us. No, we, we can come to him with great confidence and then we can worship him like the angel said. And for non-religious people, I think this is a much more attractive picture of God. You could be attracted to a God whose main purpose is to save and not to condemn. And even if you're against him, He's not going to bully or humiliate you. But the fourth and final reason why I believe judgment is good news, according to the story, is what does his posture say about him? You'll notice in the story um, that, uh, well, how have you? How would you imagine? How have you imagined that this final scene is? It, looks like. I, I've looked at it in, in uh, some, the way some artists portray it, and, and often the way we think it is is that this woman is sitting down in the dust, and uh, Jesus is standing there, and he's saying to her, I no longer condemn you. But when you read the text, that's not what it says. When you look here in John 8, verse 2, it says that Jesus sat down to teach. It's really interesting because the Bible keeps repeating that. Jesus sat down to teach on the, the Sermon on the Mount. He, he sat down to teach. This is what they used to do in Bible times. The teacher, the preacher, would be sitting down and the congregation would be standing up. Pastor Melky, take the chairs out of your church. You sit down. Let everybody else stand up. Nobody will ever fall asleep in any of our sermons again. Anyway, that's a different point. But, but this is what's going on. Jesus is sitting down. He's most likely sitting on the temple steps. And his teaching. And then we're told then in verse 3 that these teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman and they made her stand before the group. So, so that's what we have here, yeah? Verse 3, um, and it says in the King James that they had her set, but in the, in the Greek here it says that they made her stand in front of the group. So Jesus is sitting and put, they push her in front standing up. And then they're talking to him, saying, you know, we've found this woman uh, caught in adultery. And then it just tells that Jesus bent down and he wrote in the dust. Because he's sitting down and he wrote in the dust. And they keep, keep pushing him. Then he straightens up and says, okay, whoever's without sin, throw the first stone. Then he bends down again, continues to write in the dust. And then they all leave. And then what do we have then? Verse 9 and 10. At this those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And then Jesus straightened up and asked her, where are they, those who condemned you? Notice, Jesus is sitting at her feet. 
that 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 final scene there speaks volumes. Jesus is sitting at her feet because I think it says so much about God's character that He's so willing to humbly serve all of us, to take the lowest position in order to save us. God, I believe, is the greatest servant of all. He's, he's like a Cinderella God, if you like. He's, he's willing to take the, the position of a servant, the most humble of all, in order to lift us up. I believe God's the most humble being in the universe, and that's why the angels love to serve him, because he's always serving them. That's why Micah would say, what is it that the Lord requires of us? Only three things. To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Why? Because he's humble. <laughs> and if you're going to walk with God, you've got to learn to walk humbly. He is the most humble. And that position with Jesus sitting at the feet of the woman shows his humble character. That's the fourth reason why I believe judgment is good news when we understand it within the great controversy context, because God portrays himself as always willing to humbly serve us and to lift us up. So for religious people, there is no need to fear. We serve a God who humbly serves us. And for non-religious people, have you ever had a more attractive picture painted of God before? Couldn't you be attracted to a God like that? So, when you share the first angel's message, just think of the summary. Judgment is good news. And think of a story. The story of the woman caught in adultery. And judgment will be part of the good news. One, because... God's on trial, not us. Two, our destiny is in our own hands. We, we choose whether or not we are going to go to heaven or not. Three, because God is not in the condemning business. He's in the saving business. He's not trying to humiliate or, or um, um, denigrate anybody at all. He wants to lift us up and preserve our dignity and our self-respect. And four, because God portrays his character as humbly willing to serve others. This, I believe, is the good news that the world needs to hear. Judgment is good news. Ellen White writes in the last chapter of Christ's Object Lesson, the, the uh, chapter To Meet the Bridegroom, page 415, she says this, it is the darkness of misapprehension of God that is enshrouding the world. In other words, it's like the world has been covered in a dark blanket, and that dark blanket is that we have misunderstood God. She carries on and she says, Men are losing their knowledge of his character. He has been misunderstood and misinterpreted. At this time, a message from God is to be proclaimed, a message illuminating in its influence and saving in its power. What message is that? His character is to be made known. That's why this is part of the first angel's message. Then she says, the last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is a revelation of his character of love. When we can preach that the first angel's message is that judgment is good news and show the loving character of God shining through. We are preaching this message that the world needs to hear. But, you know, I think that perhaps the greatest illustration that judgment is good news would be the woman herself. Can you imagine if you could ask her, what do you think she'd say? I think she would have been jumping up and down and saying, oh yeah, judgment, judgment is good news because I'm walking around alive. I mean, God didn't condemn me. He just sat humbly at my feet and set me free. I will worship him with all of my life for the rest of my life. Now that's a story 
worth telling. Amen. Precious Lord, we thank you for your words. Thank you for your word that you've given us today. Thank you that you have entrusted us with your words, those wonderful words of life. And as we have meditated on the first angel's message, we pray that you would help us to have the confidence to go out and tell the world those wonderful words of life, that judgment is good news, because you're the one on trial, not us. Because we, we have our own destiny in our own hands. That you're in the saving business, not the condemning business. And that your character is one of humble service always. Lord, may this truly gri grip our hearts. And uh, may this good news motivate us to go and tell the world that the one who is coming soon is the one that's on our side. So now may you bless us and dismiss us with your blessing. May you um, let your face shine upon us, Lord, and be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance upon us and give us peace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Beautiful words, wonderful words. Indeed, we have been touched by the words of God and we are encouraged by the fact that God is not interested in condemning us, but humbles himself to save each one of us. Thank you so much, Pastor Patrick Johnson, for your message. We hope that God will continue to use you for him in his service, that you'll bring many people to him. I'd like to thank all those who participated in our service today from Sabbath School and throughout our divine service. 
We thank you for allowing God to use you in his service today. We thank the media team also. And our prayer is that we will continue to lift our thoughts to God, that he will continue to inspire us and motivate us to be the people he truly has called us to be. So thank you very much. Thank you, um, pastor's wife. We didn't get her name, sorry. <laughs> but thank you for joining us today. And we pray that God will bless you and your family tremendously. Join us again, everyone, at 3.30 as we have our Bible study, Sins of Shinar. Thank you and may God bless you all. Thank you. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you so much. Okay, so that's for uh, afternoon Bible study since of China. Now uh, you will take a breakout room for uh, our individual church fellowship for the next few minutes. May the Lord be with you. May the Lord be with your family. God bless you all.